Good morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Hope you had a nice Father's Day. If that applies to you, happy Juneteenth, a holiday down in the United States, an important one. Hope you read up on it. Happy NBA Draft Week. Happy, I'm thinking of as many things as possible to delay talking about the weekend that was for the Toronto Blue Jays. It was another not a great one for the Jays. They went 2-1 to one on Friday. Impressive game. Kevin Gosman gives them what they need, even though he didn't have elite Kevin Gosman stuff despite just two runs. The Jays squeak it out. Saturday, though, they're only able to score two runs once again. They lose 4-2. to two. Some of the same conversations we've been having. They, In this case, they just really didn't get runners in scoring position to not hit with them in scoring position. But it's striking the gap in long balls as Texas hits three, if I'm remembering correct. Jays are now second in baseball in home runs allowed. After that Saturday game, they were looking at a minus 17 in the home run differential. It's pretty bad. You can win games without hitting home runs. You can win games while you give them up. But if you are having home runs hit on you 20% more often than you're hitting them, it's going to put you in a little bit of a hole. On Sunday, the Jays showed momentarily a little bit of ability to put some runs on the board, get out of a hole. In this case, they built themselves an early lead. Got up 6-0, like instantly. As it turned out, it would end up being the biggest blown lead in a regular season game for the Blue Jays uh, in a game they'd ultimately lose since July of 2019. So that gives you some context for how long it's been since a game got away from them to that degree. They lose 11-7. to They put up offense early. They're not able to tack on much as far as insurance goes. Um, seven runs is still usually enough, but Chris Bassett has a second consecutive shaky outing. The bullpen behind him, not as sharp as it had been. The end result, an 11-7 loss. So you've lost three consecutive series now. You're three and six over that stretch. You're down to 39 and 34. Still 11 back in the division. You're still only half a game back of the wild card because the the New York Yankees have been quite bad as well. But there's a lot to pick at from that series that that went poorly, including, again, Saturday, the inability to create offense. Not really a weekend of struggling to hit with runners in scoring position, but or not to the same degree that we'd seen anyway but an issue with putting up runs and then a bullpen day that you are forced into Saturday because you're running with four starters right now uh, goes, you know, about as well as you could hope. They only gave up four runs over eight innings. You'll take a 450 ERA from a bullpen day always, but another struggle for Chris Bassett. Things continue to snowball for the Blue Jays a little bit within that poor outing for Chris Bassett. There were some other things that, and Bassett will tell you he was not very good, and he has a tendency to, to beat himself up a little bit after those bad outings. He wasn't done any favors either. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had an error at first base. It probably could have been called an infield single. It took Vlad very deep in the hole down the first base line. Uh, he makes the play, though, and then turns and tries to fire it to Chris Bassett. Misses wide. Um, Bassett trying to cover at first base, that error led to some action. There was a weird play where on a single into the outfield, Kevin Kiermaier got the ball back in and it just kind of sat at the feet of Bo Bichette and Adelise Garcia was able to 
sneak home on that one. So two of the runs Chris Bassett gave up ended up being unearned. The Blue Jays also ran into some outs. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the first inning, a first inning that could have been an even bigger one, maybe chase John Gray even earlier. John Gray, by the way, had uh, his worst start of the season. Of course he did for me. Um, of course that would happen. Anyway, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette seemed to get their wires crossed a little bit on a potential double steal. Bo kind of fainted off of second base like he was going to go. Vlad thought it was on and got hung up between first and second. Vlad had also made an out on the bases on Saturday, getting the wave around home and being out by a comical degree, whether that's on Vlad or, or Luis Rivera or Major League Baseball's leader in outfield assists by a long shot out of Luis Garcia. Uh, who knows? The other bad news within that game, Alejandro Kirk took a pitch off the knob of the bat, caught him in the bottom of the hand. He left the game with a contusion and lacerations on that hand. He went for x-rays that were negative for a fracture. I'm sure they'll take a look at that again as swelling subsides and allows. Tyler Heineman was removed from the Buffalo Bisons game as a precaution. John Schneider saying after the game, they'll have all their bases covered. Sounds like at a minimum, Heineman will be in Miami as part of the, I mean, it's not really called the taxi squad anymore. You can have an extra guy up if uh, you have a potential injury, but I'd imagine Tyler Heineman is uh, in Miami right now. Outside of the Blue Jays, it's a nice weekend for Canadian baseball. It's the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame induction weekend in St. Mary's. Uh, Hazel May was down there on Saturday. I got to do Blue Jay Central with Hazel May on Sunday. It's the first time I've got to work with Hazel in my time here, which was really nice. Um, but it sounded like it, it was a blast down there on Saturday uh, as Jesse Barfield and John Olderud and Rich Harden and a handful of others uh, go into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. Someone who was down there is John Morosi. We're going to talk to John in just a second. We've also got Esteban Rivera of Fangraphs coming on a little later. Ben Nicholson-Smith will join us at 11. Jessica Blaylock of Valley Sports Florida will join us in the back portion of the show to help us set up this series with the Miami Marlins. By the way, uh, Marlins lost Edward Cabrera to the IL over the weekend. So it'll be Brian Hoeing starting today. Uh, he started two games earlier in the year and has mostly worked out of the bullpen. Whether you want to call that an opener or just a, a lesser starter going, uh, Brian Hoeing is getting the nod. The rest of the, he'll go against Jose Barrios. The rest of that series, uh, Yusei Kikuchi against, technically the Marlins have it listed as TBD, but 20-year-old sensation Yuri Perez is due up. And then on Wednesday, both teams technically have a TBA, but that lines up as Kevin Gosman against Sandy Alcantara. So we'll see how uh, that all shakes out. Should be a very fun one. I mentioned it was Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame induction weekend in St. Mary's, Ontario. John Morosi of MLB Network, of NHL Network. You were there. How was your weekend, man? How'd you enjoy your little trip up to Canada? Well, outstanding, Blake, and thanks for the uh, for the call and the conversation. As always, I I, uh, I actually visited uh, St. Mary's just before the the Hall of Fame induction, and it got a little bit of preview work done. But by the time the actual induction happened, I was back in uh, back in the U.S. But I I did absorb uh, some some beautiful Canadian baseball lore there. I, I saw just a, a beautiful display there of, of John Olerud's swing uh, and, and a great photo that was actually or a great painting that was rendered by Les Tate. So I want to credit Les for that. Just a beautiful, uh, beautiful depiction of John Olerud's swing, one of the great swings of his time. So congratulations to John Olerud and Rich Harden, uh, Jacques Doucet, all, all the great honorees, Jesse Barfield as well. And Jesse's son, Josh, I've said this before, 
before. I, I do think Josh will eventually be a GM in Major League Baseball, really highly regarded player development director there with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So that was actually my first ever trip to St. Mary's. I, I, I visited Stratford as well, uh, saw much to do about nothing. I would highly recommend that to anybody who's going to Stratford this summer. Great play, great production there. So uh, some Shakespeare, some baseball, a beautiful time in Grand Bend, Bayfield as well. I, I just love that part of Ontario. So a great family trip there. Uh, yeah, and, and Stratford, I mean, I'm, I'm stretching it here, but that's a part of the region. That's the 519. That's the same area that just produced from Kitchener, NBA champion Jamal Murray from Kitchener, Nick yep. Hag of the Vegas Golden Knights, Stanley Cup champion. So quite a moment for uh, that area, and it gets to welcome John Morosi last week. I'm uh, glad you got to do that. I hope you had a good Father's Day as, as well, John. I imagine that's why you uh, you made it back as quickly as you did. Yeah. Exactly. So I wanted to celebrate Father's Day weekend uh, back home uh, with, with my wife, Alexis, and our, our daughter. So it was a lot of fun uh, to, to have just a, a wonderful Father's Day yesterday and celebrate with them. It, it is it is the, uh, as I've said before, it is the, the most challenging job and the best job that I've ever had. It, it is it is great to be a dad. Uh, happy Father's Day to my dad as well. Uh, so just some great, some great reflecting yesterday, Blake, on, uh, on, the, on the blessings of being a dad and those that have had a great impact on me as well so just a, a special day and and uh just a wonderful time to be able to catch up with, with you this morning here as we celebrate baseball and it certainly and a little bit of hockey as well maybe we'll get into that later on but just a a great a great time of year for baseball and, and for father's day as, as well john i'd be shocked if we get a little hockey and a couple of days out for the nhl draft i'm not going to ask you, you about hockey a little later in the segment uh let's start on baseball though and we talk about father's day maybe the most notorious father-son team in all of baseball the Toronto Blue Jays, they continue to sputter a little bit. Um, we obviously live through it day to day and something like a three and six stretch, losing three series in a row, two games, to one to teams roughly in your stratosphere um, that can feel uh, that can have a heaviness to it day to day and series to right. series. You get the benefit of being zoomed out a little bit, taking the, the national and league wide view of this team. What are your impressions of the Toronto Blue Jays right now? They're a bit above 500. They're a, a bit out of the wild card race. It feels not great here. Is that the sense you get from kind of 10,000 feet as well? Yes. And, and what I would say is, is with Toronto, we know the talent they've got. We know that this is a team that is oriented toward going for it all this year based on where they're at with their, uh, with their age curves and how close Vlad and Bo are approaching free agency. This is a go-for-it year, and so far they have not answered the bell. That's where I'm at with the Jays. Um, it, it's interesting to your point on, on having the, the national view of things. If you look at the Yankees, there is profound concern for the Yankees. Aaron Judge, out of the lineup. Uh, what are they going to do for, for lineup depth? Why aren't they scoring runs? Why aren't they winning games? And the Yankees are a half game ahead of the Jays. So for, for the team that, at least in the States right now, in the American League that has the most panic around them, they're still doing better than the Jays. And that's sobering, I think, if, if you're a Jays fan. This was, and, and I was on the network um, on Friday talking about the upcoming series against Texas, and I said this is going to be another one of those series that tell us 
how serious the Jays are and if they're ready to make a move. And you look at the result of that series and they're not ready to make a move. <laughs> they're, they're not ready to, to show to the world that they deserve to be major buyers of the deadline. Um, we talked about where, where they were at, how they had to, to pitch in, in terms of approaching the weekend. And, and we knew Saturday would be tough as, as something of a bullpen day. And they had to get the max out of their two big starters who were going on the weekend. And yesterday, Bassett just did not pitch as well as he's pitched for most of the season, and they lost the series. That's, that, to me, is indicative of a team that is stuck. They're, they're not a bad team. They really aren't. They're a half game out of a wild card spot. So the, the most dire projections of where this team is, I, I think, are not true either. This is still a fine team but they are a disappointing team. And, and that is, that's where I'm at with the Jays. I'm, I'm waiting to see a sign that tells me that they are one player away, that they're one move away from winning the division, from being a World Series contender. And the conclusion that I'm reaching right now, Blake, is this team is way more than one player away. And if they were one player away, maybe you could look at the Alec Manoa situation and be optimistic about what that could look like. He's thrown two simulated games down at the complex now, one more simulated game to go before they potentially get him in, uh, kind of work his way back up action. So that is down the line, down the line. You mentioned the bullpen day and the fact that Chris Bassett didn't really you know, and he he said it himself. It kind of made it two bullpen days in a row because he wasn't able to give them length. Now the Jays have an off day coming up Thursday. They have an off day coming up next Monday. They could potentially, if they instead of giving guys an extra day of rest, just keep pitching everyone on five days so they don't have to go to that bullpen day. They don't need another one again until Canada Day on on Saturday, July first. What do you make of the Jays kind of trying to tiptoe around the Manoa fallout here without going to a fifth starter? Like how long do you think they can get away with trying the bullpen day stuff and shuffling the rotation to avoid those? Well, it's, it's interesting. And, and to me, Blake, it, conveys that they're just not at all comfortable with their options at AAA. Mm-hmm. And, and they've got some better and some emerging pitching prospects, but they're more at the AA and high Class A level at the moment. Um, in fact, what we may even see some, some AA pitching arrive at the Jays in the next month or so. That, that's how quickly they've developed. But it's more relievers that are that, are that close to impacting. And so that, that just tells me that they're not sure at all about what they're getting at at AAA because if they had somebody there he would be in the in the rotation right now he would have taken Manoa's spot and instead it, it's sort of a half measure they're they're hoping that Manoa might be available to come back to them around the All-Star break um to your point where where Canada Day is about a little less than 2 weeks away um that seems to be what they're hoping to do to take a a sort of a, a week by week approach and and then potentially have those those bullpen games when they come up as needed but again that that just really to me it it 
puts even more pressure on on the starters that you've got. And and we've seen even in recent days, uh, whether it was the Bassett start yesterday, um, I think Saturday's game was certainly competitive, but they lost it. And and Kikuchi, the other piece with him is he doesn't often get you deep in the games. And so you can go with a four-man rotation for a temporary amount of time. I get it, and I think it's probably among their options at the moment the most readily available one. But it just seems to me that they're, that they're going with a half measure right now that has not really resulted in, in a whole lot of success because as you've gone now to a four-man rotation, you don't have the ability – to, to give some, some security and some support to your main four starters. You, you don't have the ability to, to give them an extra day. And with all that additional pressure, uh, we saw Bassett have one of his worst outings yesterday. Uh, they lost a game on Saturday. It's just not the ideal way to make a move up the standings. And I, I suppose if you're going to take the positive side of things, if they were alarmed at all or pessimistic at all about what they had seen from Manoa since he reported to Dunedin, maybe they would have made a more meaningful move outside the organization to bring in somebody to take that spot. But I suppose that might be the one silver lining here, Blake, that they're sure enough or confident enough in what Manoa has done that they're going to keep that spot warm for him. And that's the approach they've taken, even though it has not resulted in a, a lot of series wins, at least since Manoa went down. John, within that answer, you, you mentioned that there are some interesting names at double A and I had wanted to ask you about that anyway. And, and I know there, there are a trio of starters there in Semmer Bersa, Adam Klopfenstein, uh, Chad Dallas, who, who have had some impressive years. When you mentioned you've heard chatter about some of those guys at the double A level. And yes, I, I know you mentioned, hey, maybe some relievers with upward mobility toward the back half of the season. Um, how much of that is coming from, you know, this is just the time of year where, where people are start to talk about prospects at the midway point how much of that is other teams taking a look at hey the jays might have to do something here who are we interested in from their system if talks do pick up right and i think that's a very good point i would mention one name to watch that that could make an impact again maybe in the next month or six weeks is connor cook a right-handed reliever out of double a really good numbers. He's, he's struck out 42 batters and walked only eight in 21 and a third innings. That's, that's a really good start to the year. Uh, 23 year old righty reliever. So someone that at that age, it's, it's about time for him to start moving up to the higher levels of the minors or maybe even the majors. So again, Connor cook, I would not be surprised if we see him at, at the major league level at some point in time this year, Mason Fluharty as well as a lefty reliever there, a little younger, he's 21, but similar numbers in terms of his ability to strike out better than one batter per inning and also uh, not walk a lot of guys. So both Cook and Fluardi are, are two names that I think we could see make an impact on, on the Jays' major league roster this season. You mentioned Kloffenstein. You mentioned Dallas. I, I, I don't know if, if either is ready to, to start a game for the Jays. And, again, I think if they were – 
we would have seen him uh, with with this time with with Manoa being being in the minor league. So I I do think Dallas and Coffinston maybe a bit uh, a bit of a distance away from them being able to be at the major league level, but still some good progress being made there. Dev Harrison is one name to watch at high class A. So he's in Vancouver now, a former position player at Long Beach State and was a closer there. He's done a little bit of starting, a little bit of relieving. He was part of that recent no hitter that was the thrown by the Vancouver Canadians. So I think he's he's a guy to watch. Dev Harrison as a potential starter, maybe not this year, but potentially early next year, making very good progress for him uh, now at the high class A level. Yeah, Harrison got you know only uh, 11 innings in last year because he was a 2022 ninth round pick. But he's been yeah he's I mean I'm scouting the stat line here, but every day I check them the minor league box scores and uh, Devereaux Harrison uh, looking pretty good in there. Connor Cook's a fascinating one too, just because the strikeouts have struck out almost 50 percent of the batters he's faced this year, even with some right. home run issues that uh, that becomes pretty interesting pretty quick um john before we pivot off the jays to to more of a a look around baseball um with what's going on with this major league team you say you look at them and you're not confident that they're only one player away how much do you think where the jays are and the feeling around them can come down to and and i'm not saying it's his fault but i'm saying you know narratively or or perception wise from outside this team the fact that vladimir guerrero jr has been just good this year and hasn't really hit for power does that have a big impact in how this team's perceived around the league yes (laughs) i i think that you know he vlad has had a disappointing year period and i think that's that's a fair statement to make to this point. Uh, he certainly has plenty of games left to change that, but I don't think anybody around the Jays or Vlad himself would look at his numbers and say that this is where they expect him to be. And I, I think to the big picture here, we have to think about what that number is in terms of an extension and, and where the Jays are with that, that would even make sense for the Jays at this juncture when he has been by any wins above replacement number, a very average first baseman this season. He, he has produced like an average first baseman. And there are a number of guys out there, whether it's Christian Walker with the D backs, Ryan Noda with the A's players that aren't household names that are better than him right now in terms of wins above replacement. And that by definition make, gives you significant pause in reflecting on the urgency to sign him. I, I think that if, if the Jays had, if the Jays had just to, to throw out a number, $150 million to spend on an extension for a player, they would extend Bo before they extended Vlad. I, there's just no other way to look at it right now. That's, that's what the production says. That's what the positional value says. And it's, it's now up to Vlad as to where, where his career goes. Um, this, the, the managerial change happened a year ago. Part of it was understanding that, that John Schneider knew Vlad since, since he was very early in the system, and it hasn't gotten the best out of Vlad. So at some point in time, the, the issue is not the manager. The issue is not the environment. It, it becomes the player's own, own ability to produce. And I think that we're getting to that spot with Vlad to where the, there is a bit of a reckoning to come about what, where he is going with, it, with his profile in the game. And, and he, we have seen him be an MVP-level player. We have now seen him be a relatively average first baseman. The, the next year and a half or so will, will tell us a lot about what the ultimate trajectory is going to be for Vlad in his career. 
It's a it's a tough spot to be in. It's also just, I mean, it's tough when a guy is hitting well as a singles hitter and things like that, but you need the home, at least more than nine home runs out of him. Only two over the last six weeks, and one of those, of course, off of an outfielder who came into pitch in a in a twenty run ball game. Um, okay, John, looking outside of Toronto here, when you look around the American League, um, the Baltimore Orioles have overperformed. Uh, GM Michael Elias has been pretty patient with that group and when they're willing to put chips in, whether that's financially or pulling from a very good farm system. Uh, we know that the Rangers are are in it. They've spent a ton of money. I know you reported recently that the Astros will probably be in the mix for a left-handed bat. Um, the Yankees are the Yankees. How much is this? And I know it's, it's a tiny bit early for this still, but how much is this shaping up to be a pretty good seller's market this deadline? I think it will be a very good seller's market, Blake. I think it's a good read on it from from your perspective because one of the other reasons why I think it shapes up to be a pretty good seller's market is there are not that many teams that are very clearly in the selling category. Uh, we're, we're kind of waiting to see what becomes what becomes of the White Sox, what becomes of the Cleveland Guardians, what becomes of the Cubs exactly. I, I, I do think Marcus Stroman will be someone that's a very popular name on the market this, this year. Um, the Reds right now, I would say, are, are leaning towards being buyers. I mean, they're one of the more intriguing teams in the entire sport right now. The most fun uh, team in I baseball, think, maybe. They really are. Uh, and and you know, if, you have, if you have, again, uh, 25 bucks to, to, to put down on a ticket to watch any team in the sport. You might, you probably watch the Reds right now with, with Ellie De La Cruz and then McLean, what he has done over at shortstop. There's, there's a lot of excitement there with the Reds. I think the nationals to me are a team that's going to be very aggressive in selling because they're clearly in that category and they've got the kind of guys that you would expect to move a Kyle Finnegan, a Carl Edwards, Jr. Uh, a lefty bat and Corey Dickerson. Um, I think he's got some value. Ildemar Vargas as a multi-position utility guy has some value. So I, I think those are the guys that, that make the most sense to me for, for the nationals to move. I think on the, the pitching side of things, to me, I go back to the AL Central and say, is this the year that Shane Bieber has moved? Is this the year that uh, Lucas Giolito, if the White Sox continue to be very mediocre, and they're still in fourth place. They're 11 games under 500. I know the Twins are a vulnerable division leader, but it's really hard to say you're a buyer when you've got a 425 winning percentage, as, as the White Sox do. So I, Tim Anderson is a name to watch. There, it's not this is not, to me at least, right now, and again, it's only the 19th of June, I, I don't know that we've got a Juan Soto-type player who's going to get moved this this deadline like we saw last year. Um, now, the one really interesting team uh, is actually, I'm, I'm in Houston right now. We've got the Astros and Mets tonight on MLB Network, so I'm getting ready to broadcast this game uh, with Matt Vescurgeon and Yonder Alonso. But the, the the question I've got right now is, what do the Mets do if if the Mets stay in this position? I mean, they're they're fourth in the NL East. They're twelve and a half games back, Blake. You know, as as much as the the Jays have been a disappointment, uh, may I introduce you to the Mets <laughs> because <laughs> they're they're still five under uh, five games under five hundred. They're only ten and nine in games started by one of the most expensive starting pitching duos in the history of the game in Scherzer and Verlander. They're 10-9 in games started by them. So I, I don't know where they go from here. 
And and it's it's good perspective to your point to pull back a little bit and say, yeah, the Jays have underwhelmed, but not as badly as a couple other teams have. Yeah, that's a it's a tough spot there, and a, a lot of money owed to Scherzer and Verlander this year and next. Uh, Kodai Senga getting a nice payday right. there as well, uh, along with everyone else. Okay, John, before we let you go, next week is the NHL draft. I don't know that I'll get to talk to you before then. I know you're a big Adam Fantilli guy, Michigan kid, projected to go number two. Uh, do you have anyone a little low, like a little outside the top two that you're really keeping an eye on and really feel good about um, being one of the the studs from this 2023? NHL draft. All right. So I've got, a, I've got a couple of sleepers okay. for you. Here we go. Oliver Moore uh, is going to go play at the university of Minnesota. Uh, he centered the number two line for the national team development program this past year. So Will Smith expected to be a top 10 pick and deserves to be there. Ryan Leonard. I, I see some Tyler to and Ryan Leonard's game. I think he'll be a, a top 10 pick as well, but Oliver Moore is, is maybe not been quite as publicized. And there are some elements to Maddie Beneers' game that I see in Oliver, Oliver Moore. So he's a, 200-foot player, skates really well, really good competitiveness. So love Oliver Moore's game. Keep an eye on him. And then Kerry Terrance from the Erie Otters. He actually was born on the U.S. side of the Aquasasani Reservation, the First Nations Reservation, close to the New York-Ontario border in northern New York. And so he's born on the U.S. side, plays in the OHL, was actually added to Team USA's under-18 national team uh, for the U18 World Championships, won a gold medal with Team USA, and when I spoke recently with, with Dave Brown, one of the, the, the GM there of the Erie Otters, he said that Terrence is in a class in terms of the best skaters they have had with, you guessed it, McDavid and Drysdale. So, uh, again, I mean, this full skill set, I'm not saying it's, it's McDavid-like, but, but the wheels and the compete are, are very high end. So, Kerry Terrence has been looked at as maybe a second-round pick. But with that kind of a comp, I'm wondering if maybe he's a, a later first round, early second round sleeper that we're not talking about enough. So remember that name, Kerry Terrance, the Otters. I will remember it. And uh, yeah, speed is speed is such a thing that translates, right? So anytime yeah. that's a one on the scouting report, I mean, not dissimilar to baseball, right? Where no matter what the player profile speeds baked in pretty highly there. We got an MLB draft coming up soon too. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll get your take on those LSU kids in the coming weeks. Uh, John Morosi, yeah. thanks so much for taking the time and enjoy Astros Mets tonight. Th- thanks, Blake. I, I appreciate it again. Uh, thanks to everybody in Ontario who uh, welcomed my family so much last week. It was a great time and uh, can't wait for my next trip to, uh, to Bayfield and to Grand Bend as well. Can't wait to see you, John. John Morosi, MLB okay. Network and NHL Network. Uh, Part of the broadcast tonight for Astros Mets on the MLB network. I'm sure he will be a big part of NHL draft stuff next week uh, as well. And of course, pumping the the U.S. guys only. I I see what you're doing there, John. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get to know this Miami Marlins team uh, a little bit better Palomine Esteban Rivera wrote about their outfield recently for Fangraphs. Pretty fascinating group. Uh, I'm sure you know Jazz Chisholm and his transition to center field and, you know, how that's been a part of Miami remaking their outfield look. Jorge Soler has 20 home runs. He's back to maybe 2019 version of himself. Um, But the big two names, Brian De La Cruz and Jesus Sanchez, guys who actually came up through the Astros and Rays system. Normally you'd say, wait a second, the Astros and Rays let guys go who have then become kind of under the radar success stories. It's true. 
maybe the Astros and Braves just can't employ like 400 guys. That was kind of the thinking with Nathaniel Lowe, who we saw with the Texas Rangers this weekend as well. Uh, the Rays just had too many guys. And if you can turn, you know, one guy who's on the fringe for you into a couple prospects elsewhere, but interesting to see the Miami Marlins uh, be the beneficiaries of Astros and Rays uh, so so-called cast off. So we'll talk to Esteban Rivera about that. We'll tee up this series. We'll also get his impressions on what's going on with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Matt Chapman. That's next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 The Fan and Sports at 360. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay is going to try to turn the page on a three and six stretch, three consecutive drop series as they play the Miami Marlins. Miami Marlins, though, pretty, pretty damn hot. They've won 16 of their last 21. They just swept the Nationals on the weekend. They've been the beneficiaries of some lighter scheduling. We still got to win the games, and they've won 16 of the last 21. We'll talk to Esteban Rivera of Fangraphs about them. But first, Esteban, uh, good morning. You also write for Pinstripe Alley. And the real reason I had you on, I can now reveal, is um, things are going almost as poorly for the New York Yankees as the Toronto Blue Jays. And we just need like a little <laughs> dose of uh, a little dose of that to help our Monday along. How are you, buddy? I'm good, Blake. You know, that's interesting timing. I didn't think of that until um, So... With respect to the Yankees, in, I'm being a little glib, but in seriousness, um, you know, are they like how, what does the next little bit look like for this Yankees team? Because they've gone through this terrible stretch. They are still hanging on to a wild card spot by a, a little bit. Aaron Judge will hopefully those PRP injections in his toe, which sound incredibly painful, will eventually have him back in the lineup. But but what is your feeling on this Yankees team right now? How How concerned should the Yankees be about how things are going? They should definitely be very concerned. There's too much good competition in the American League for them to have a sustained period of just not hitting the ball. And the the point of concern that it really is the most dramatic for them is that there's no reinforcements house. Um, if they want to bring in any impact, it's going to have to come from another team. Even in the minor leagues, you have a few guys hitting pretty well, especially Oswald Peraza, but realistically, he's not the type of hitter that's going to come and carry an offense. We need Giancarlo Stanton to look like Giancarlo Stanton again, and Rizzo to bounce back to what he was in May and April, but I'm not sure that those are things you can bet on anymore. Uh, those guys are aging. Uh, every single injury adds up to, the, to what your body can really do. So it's bleak. It's bleak in New York right now, especially with especially with the team like the Jays right behind them, just waiting to jump them in the standings. Waiting to, but refusing to. The Jays three and six over their last nine. Uh, even one more win in though in that stretch would have the Blue Jays in a wild card spot right now. And yes, it's early in all of those things, but the the kind of 
talk of the Toronto Blue Jays the last couple of weeks has been missed opportunities. So, so it is, mm-hmm. you know, it does feel that way, especially when you look at what the Yankees have been able to do and the Jays inability uh, to catch up any games as they struggle um, from your perspective. I, I know you do catch some Jays games. I, I know you've tweeted about, you know, Matt Chapman in particular recently. What are your impressions of, of where the Toronto Blue Jays are at right now and that inability to catch up to the Yankees or, or jump the Yankees? If I'm if I'm the Jays, I'm feeling confident relative to the Yankees. The the players they have on their team that haven't gotten it going or that have fallen off, I'm I'm personally more confident in them than I am in some of the Yankees hitters, especially Vladdy. I know that his performance really isn't the gargantuan expectations that we all have for him, but I'm still just so confident that he's going to be able to figure it out. Uh, pretty quickly. He feels like someone that could just turn things around in a day. And I'm not sure the Yankees have an equivalent hitter to that that can get going as as quickly as he can. And then Matt Chapman, on the other hand, he's dumbfounded um, me. I have watched him sort of progress or regress through the year, and his swing looks the same as it did in the beginning of the year, but his outcomes are just off the table completely. Well, and you've got to dig in a little further because that's future Yankee Matt Chapman that you're that you're talking about. If you if you listen to to Twitter during Matt Chapman's uh, hot streak, so one of the, even if you're confident Vlad's going to come back around and they're you know Matt Chapman, he's going to land somewhere in the middle of what his April looked like and what his May looked like. Um, one of the things that's plagued the Blue Jays, and, and I know like you played at a college level, you you've been through this, um, you know, with with teams before yourself and certainly analyzing from afar when you see kind of a team wide issue hitting with runners in scoring position, are you a believer that that is entirely random and it's just kind of baseball luck and sequencing luck? Or do you think that there, there can be kind of, a mental element to that at the team level, because, you know, we're coming off a series Jays and Rangers where the hit totals in the OBP are almost identical for the season between the two teams. And there's a hundred run difference in how much offense they've scored. And a lot of that comes down to the Texas Rangers being the best team in the league with runners in scoring position. The blue Jays being one of the five worst teams with runners in scoring position. Are you a believer that that can be a team wide skill or a team wide weakness, or are we still just kind of in the noisy, part of situational hitting at the halfway point of the season. Yeah, I, I'd say I'd fall somewhere in the middle with that. I It's hard for me as a former player to say this isn't something that exists because your body is affected by your brain, right? If you're, if you're nervous and you're tight, your body is not going to perform the same as it would if you're loose and confident. And that definitely plays into it. And you're seeing a similar thing happen with the Yankees right now where you're pressing, trying to do too much. And when you're pressing and trying to do too much, you can't hit. It's it's pretty simple. However, I think that's something that can be flipped on an inning-to-inning basis, which is where the idea that clutch isn't something that's sticky over time is definitely valid. Um, You can clear your mind from one inning to the next, from one month to the next. And confidence is really, um, it just affects your teammates. If Vladdy goes up and has a great at-bat with runners in scoring position where he picks out a fastball in the heart of the zone and gets a barrel on it, then the next hitter is going to feel more confident. It's all really contagious. Um, 
I think that the Rangers are performing to an insane, most likely unsustainable level. And the opposite is happening for the Jays. Their hitters are just as good and even better than the hitters on the Rangers. So I think it's something that will definitely even out over time. Well, the Jays will hope to even that out against the Miami Marlins this week. Uh, the first of three going tonight. Esteban, you've written about the Marlins a couple times recently for Fangrass, specifically about that outfield group. Um, in May, you wrote about Jazz Chisholm and his transition to center field. Now, some of the defensive metrics that we have available overall aren't the most sparkling when it comes to the Marlins um, outfield outs above average from Statcast or defensive run saved from sports info solutions, neither grades that outfield as particularly great defensively, but in jazz Chisholm's transition to the, to the center field spot, um, are, are you pretty confident that that that's a move that that's going to stick and that's a good place for him long-term? Yeah, absolutely. I think especially with um, how just, not very good he was in the <laughs> infield that's something that was weighing down his overall profile and i know that he only got uh not a month month and a half's worth of early were good from a statistical perspective and then just from the scouts point of view he improved over time and i touched on this in that article where in the beginning of the year you saw him misreading some hard hops coming out him on either low turf or grass that's a little skippy. And then as the season progressed, as the weeks went by, he turned those reads on its head and immediately was much more intelligent with where he could be aggressive, with where he should sort of take a step back and let the ball come to him. And then, I mean, just going back, the dude flies. He flies. He's got a really good first step, which is impressive because that's usually something that you gain over time. But, geez. Hmm. He had 110 mile per hour batted balls in the gaps that he was running down that were really impressive in both directions. And unfortunately for them, he's been on the shelf for a while. Um, so he hasn't really gotten a chance to help out that outfield defense. They've sort of just been throwing guys in center field that aren't true center fielders. And you end up with a, an outfield that if Chisholm is in between, say, a Jesus Sanchez and a Brian De La Cruz, things look pretty good. But then the outfield, uh, you know, right now has uh, maybe Garrett Cooper in there, maybe Jonathan Davis in there, uh, old friend, maybe Garrett Hampson in there. It's not quite the same. Uh, however, you also recently wrote about Jesus Sanchez and Brian De La Cruz. Uh, Sanchez getting it more done with the bat, but De La Cruz kind of you know, filling in, in, in a lot of different ways from this team, that duo that both of them coming from coming from the Astros and the Rays organization respectively. Um, what do you make of Miami's ability to, you know, take a couple of guys, usually the Astros and the Rays are, are the ones finding guys like De La Cruz and Sanchez mm -hmm. and turning them into major leaguers for, for Miami to be, be able to pick up both of those guys in trade and help kind of finish them into capable major leaguers. How big a, success story is that for Miami and how big a factor in them having this, um, you know, kind of surprising or at least a little ahead of schedule season. Yeah, I think it's very interesting because the Marlins have tried this a bunch of times. They've always been aggressive with trading for players with loud tools, even though they may have extremely susceptible holes in their profiles. And honestly, usually that hasn't worked out for them. There's countless examples of that happening. And even with Jazz, it's not even clear if, it, if it's worked out offensively. But with these two, the patience is definitely paying off. Um, 
My assumption is that these two clubs, the Racing Astros, gave up on these players because of those holes and because of the position that the Marlins were in where they didn't have that many outfield prospects themselves. It was a risk that they were willing to take to see if they could develop them in-house, whether it be in the upper minors or the major leagues. And it seems like these two hitters are really rounding into form when it comes to getting the best out of their profile. Casey Sanchez is just being more aggressive. And that wasn't something that I expected him to do because I thought he was probably too aggressive, but he's adjusted his swing to get his barrel on the ball even more frequently in different areas of the zone. And then Brian De La Cruz, he's got one of my favorite swings in the game. I know he's not an out-of-this-world hitter. Oh, we may have lost Esteban. Um, that's okay. We can uh, we can fill you in on the rest of that. Um, so thanks to Esteban for, for coming on. It might be a little late in the segment to try to reconnect with him, uh, but I'll direct you over to Fangraphs um, to check out his articles, both the one on Jazz Chisholm that, no, is not relevant for this series, but it has a pretty big impact on uh, the future of the Miami Marlins and Jazz Chisholm, just one of the most fun young players uh, in baseball. So hopefully he can get back on the field soon, coming back from that turf toe issue. Uh, but Brian De La Cruz and Jesus Sanchez, kind of big difference makers for this Marlins team. Um, Brian De La Cruz, who who is going to play left field and hit in the three spot more days than not. He'll sometimes move to the leadoff spot against the lefty. So you might see that in Yusei Kikuchi start, but for the most part, he's locked into that three spot. Luis Arise, of course, uh, hitting leadoff when he's in the lineup and, and playing second base as he continues to push to try to hit 400. So that's something to watch this week as well. Uh, Luis Arise right now sitting on a 388 batting average. Pretty ridiculous. Uh, we'll see if some of those line drives drop in against the Blue Jays. My guess is they will. Uh, he's followed by, and this isn't tonight's lineup, but generally they keep the same one, two, three, four. Uh, Jorge, Jorge Soler, who's pretty much just a DH at this point. Um, he hits in the two hole. He's hit 20 home runs already this year. Soler's a, a guy that has had some ups and downs. He had 48 home runs in 2019. And then the last three years, he's kind of gone to just being a league average hitter overall. Some of that due to some swing and miss issue, but the home run power kind of went away for, for a little bit. There are at least not at 2019 levels, but he's back to being that guy this year, a 20 home run, 42 RBI walking more than half as much as he strikes out, which, you know, sometimes we talk about a guy like Alejandro Kirk or Adley Rutschman or something like that, Spencer Horowitz and their ability to walk as much as they strike out with a player type like Jorge Soler, where you're hitting 20 home runs as well. You don't need it to be walks equal to home runs. You just need him to not strike out a ton and, and to take the walks that pitchers are going to give him as they pitch around him, which the Blue Jays will probably do a little bit. Uh, he has a career high walk rate right now. Um, Brian De La Cruz, like we mentioned, in that three hole. And then it's Garrett Cooper in the four spot most of the time. Garrett Cooper, who at age 32 is kind of just now carving out a full-time everyday middle of the order role. He's had some good seasons over the years, but whether it be due to uh, injury or, or ineffectiveness, it's been since 2019, really, when he was a lock to be in uh, that Marlins order every day uh, until the latter part of last year when he, he'd kind of finally run with it. He's having some major strikeout issues this year. He hasn't hit nearly as well as last season. Um, but you'll get a, a close look at him. And then from there, the Marlins will do a little batting order juggling and playing some lefty-righty matchups and things like that. Jesus Sanchez, Joey Wendell, John Bertie, uh, Jonathan Davis in the mix there. 
Yuli Gurriel, uh, another guy that'll probably be familiar to Blue Jays fans, the brother of Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Uh, and a former Houston Astro. And then uh, Jacob Amaya made his MLB debut yesterday, which was very cool because his dad was in attendance and uh, Jessica Blaylock for Bally Sports Florida. She was actually with Jacob Amaya's dad as Jacob Amaya got his first career hit. So we'll talk to her about that uh, around 1135. Ben Nicholson Smith's going to come up with us around 11 um, mentioned first career hits about the only positive from yesterday's game, unless you really want to get into the, well, they scored seven runs and they haven't done that very often. The last two times they've scored six or more runs, they gave up 11. So we're, we're probably stretching for positives there. Uh, but Spencer Horwitz had a very nice debut on Sunday Had a single in his first plate appearance. Drew a pair of walks. We know that that's something that Spencer Horwitz is going to do. He had an OBP north of 400 at AAA. Uh, he's a guy who works good plate appearances, good understanding of the strike zone. The question with him is not whether the eye translates, but similar to what Kevin Biggio has gone through. Does the eye translate if pitchers aren't worried about you doing damage against them? That's the question Spencer Horwitz will have to answer. Um, so far, so good. He has a single, draws two walks. Even his one out was a kind of productive one. It was a chopper in that kind of no man's land between first and the pitcher. Nathaniel Lowe comes up with it. Doesn't have time to make a double play. There was a potential that he could have gone home with it to try to, instead of, you know, getting the the sure thing, try to get the lead runner at home. But it ends up that Spencer Horwitz, the lone time he wasn't on base, gets an RBI ground out. So a nice debut for him. Be interesting to see what his role looks like over the next little bit. Brandon Bell could come off the IL as soon as Wednesday. If Alejandro Kirk were to need an IL stint after taking that ball in the hand yesterday, even though x-rays came back negative, um, that's something where, you know, does that change what you're thinking about in terms of how the DH spot is going to be used over that Oakland series and that San Francisco series and looking ahead. Or on the other side, if Alejandro Kirk just needs a couple days and they add Tyler Heinem into the roster so they have an extra catching option, does that, does, is Spencer Horwitz the odd man out there? Is it Ernie Clement? Uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll get some news on that. Probably not until uh, around 3.30 today because John Schneider will conduct his media availability then. It's a 6.40 game. Um, so by the way, uh, a programming note that Ben Ennis in the Jeff Blair spot with Kevin Barker again at five o'clock today, but they'll only be on until six 30 because that's a six 40 show. Uh, we're going to take a break. We come back. We'll talk to someone who will be on at least one of the Miami broadcasts on the radio side. And I believe the entire Oakland athletic series, Ben Nicholson Smith, MLB editor for sportsnet.ca. Uh, there is a lot to sort through with this Toronto blue Jays team right now. We'll see how Ben Nicholson Smith is feeling about it when Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 The Fan and Sports at 360. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Another tough weekend for the Toronto Blue Jays. You were listening to the lone win from the Texas Rangers series. You would have heard Ben Nicholson-Smith, MLB editor at sportsnet.ca. Ben, how are you, buddy? 
Doing well, doing well. I guess you got, um, I was listening to you and, and Ben Shulman for parts of the two losses. Um, but yeah, not a great weekend for the Blue Jays. I hope you had fun in the booth. Yeah, I did. I, I uh, It's one of those things. I mean, this is probably more for our off-air conversation. I didn't think I had the best call Saturday. And how do you flush that? And, and like puts you almost in a position of the players a little bit of like, okay, how do you turn the page? How do you uh, focus on the next thing and try to do a little better the next day? Uh, the Blue Jays did that with the bats, um, I don't know. There are there are very few positives from those couple of games. I, I guess the one big positive would be Spencer Horwitz. Um, we know the book on Spencer Horwitz, so nothing too surprising yesterday. But did you like what you saw from him in his MLB debut? Yeah, it's it's hard not to like it. You know, just even getting that first hit out of the way is a good sign. Um, I think that it would be so big for the Blue Jays if they could get some contributions from unexpected places like a Spencer Horowitz, a guy who, you know, came up and, and obviously hits for a good average in the minor leagues, but doesn't have a ton of power. Um, and that's, Hey, if, if you can get a couple good weeks out of him at a time that Brandon belt isn't available, you need some offense. That's a great um, bonus potentially, but so far just one game in and, and to get, uh, a base hit is a good start along with a couple walks. But what about if instead of getting contributions from unexpected places, they just got actual contributions from the expected places. I think that would go uh, a pretty long way too, Ben. Um, man, a couple of the guys in this lineup struggling right now. We'll we'll get back to the, the specifics of that in a second, but I'm curious as to, you know, you're in this clubhouse at times. Um, I know you're going to call one game this series and then you'll be down at the ballpark for the Oakland series and can get a better feel for this then, but um, this idea of missed opportunities, this feeling of missed opportunities, and I don't know how much the Jays are looking at what the Yankees are doing or what the wild card standings look like day to day. Um, but even just in their own games, a lot of winnable games have gotten away from them lately. At what point does that start to take a real toll on, on this group's either confidence or, or self-belief? I know they're still saying the right things, but it's been a, a lot of segments here when we've had you on and other guests as well, where the talk of the day is missed opportunity. For sure. And, and as long as, uh, as long as that's the case, I mean, obviously we'll still point those out. I, I think internally within the clubhouse, there's a, a certain amount of frustration. I mean, I could sense that in Baltimore, um, this last week uh, when I was when I was with the team there at Camden Yards, um, you know, I, I think at the same time, it is such a long season and frustration is a normal part of the baseball season. It's a frustrating game. Um, and there most of the time you're not going to have a team clicking on all cylinders. So most of the time you're going to be searching for something, whether it's health, whether it's performance from your stars, performance from your bench. So it's not unusual. Um, it's certainly not the you know, pure joy and, um, you know, uh, absolute optimism that you might encounter if you're covering the Tampa Bay Rays. Hmm. Um, but that's that's one team out of 30 or, or at least, you know, one team out of the American League that's that's really um, exceeded every th- expectation. And so for the Blue Jays, it's been a disappointing first 70, what is it, 73 games, um, but they got a lot of time left. And that could either lead to further disappointment or they can find themselves in playoff position at the end of all of this, in which case, who knows what's going to happen. 
So the offensive side of the game and the defensive side of the game, they're related, but we can we tend to analyze them as separate things. And yesterday, the offense comes around a little bit more. They, they get seven runs, but it's the pitching side that isn't able to come through. And in prior games and a lot more often this season, honestly, it's been the bats that haven't come through, including on Saturday when they lose four to two. The bullpen day holds up for only four over eight innings, uh, and the, the bats can only add to is there you know do you do you sense a deflating feeling and again I know you weren't there for this series but but generally a deflated feeling when the bats finally do what they're supposed to do and that happens to be the day that that the pitching doesn't come around and that kind of happened at the start of the last series as well although that 11-6 game was not really 11-6 to there was some some garbage time there yeah for sure that was more like an 11 to three by the way it kind of felt um yeah i think that the the positives with the offense are there um but man i mean chris bassett it's been a it's been a rough run for him um and we saw that again uh yesterday against the rangers uh where he wasn't able to get out of the fourth inning and then you know adam simber it's been a really rough year for him and Mm -hmm. another home run another big home run um you know you look at his season and it really has been I mean, we we kind of group Simber and Richards, you know, for obvious reasons, acquired right around the same time um, in a couple of years ago. Um, but Richards has really stepped up this year, and Simber has has really had a tough season. So uh, we saw the continuation of that um, yesterday, and I I think that for for this team, they need some aspect of their team to carry uh, to carry this ball club for a little bit because you know whether that's a Vladdy. Um, it's presumably not going to be the starting rotation at a time that they only have four starters. We've seen the bullpen actually do pretty well, but you know, you go out allowing big home runs the way Simber did, and that's clearly not going to be the this the spine of this team right now. I know this team really likes Adam Simber as a dude, and in previous years he he's had some really strong performance. A, a two eighty ERA last year, two twenty six the year before that, and that's without elite velocity and without bat missing stuff. But when you see that the ability to miss bats has declined even further a little bit, and you're looking at a 740 ERA here through 21 innings, um, probably not imminent given the lack of immediate options other than like say a, a Jay Jackson or a Thomas Hatch, but bigger picture, it, would there be some concern if you're Adam Simber about job security the rest of the way? Yeah, I think there would have to be. I, I think there would have to be. I mean, it's been it's been pretty rough. You know, mm-hmm. you look at the I have the season numbers in front of me. He's pitched twenty and two thirds innings. He's allowed six home runs. So, you know, that's a lot of home runs um to to be allowing. And this is someone who doesn't have overpowering velocity. There's a lot of deception that he needs to get by on. And of course, there's some you know, no one's expecting that he would allow home runs quite at this rate <laughs> moving forward. But, you know, the the Blue Jays really do need um, some reliable relief pitching and, um, you know, Simber hasn't been able to provide it. So absolutely, you know, they, they really like what they saw from Thomas Hatch and he has options. So that ends up informing some of the decisions they make same for Jay Jackson. But, you know, in talking to some of the people around the team last week, they were really impressed with what Thomas Hatch has been able to do. So I think we'll see Thomas Hatch again, uh, probably before too long. Yeah, Thomas Hatch, the, the change up is kind of the, the buzzy pitch there and the Jays have had some success helping guys figure out the best versions of their changeup. So uh, maybe we get a, a longer look at it. People will get on board uh, as well. When you look at the bullpen looking ahead to, to this week, Ben, um, 
it's been, in Chris Bassett's words, two bullpen days in a row, basically. Uh, Jordan Romano and Eric Swanson, coincidentally, now the, the freshest guys in the pen because they weren't used on Saturday in a game they were behind, and then yesterday wasn't close enough to necessitate it. Um, could you see a move here today for a little extra length there, or, or is Jose Barrios in the territory now where you feel comfortable enough with what he's going to give you start to start that maybe you can have a thinner bullpen on a day like today. Yeah, I think you probably can, especially because Miami has two good hitters and not a lot else. Um, but man, you don't want to get too ahead of yourself either because what if it just happens to be a day that Brios doesn't have his command or what if it just happens to be a day where I don't know. He he trips fielding first base and he just needs to leave the game early. I mean, looking at their bullpen, and this is not a secret, this is the consequence of having bullpen days um, every every five turns. Like, it has been used really heavily. Even, like, you know, Tim Mays has been used four of five. I can't imagine they go to Trevor Richards or Bowden Francis um, on, on a day like this. Are you going to use Simber three in a row? Are you going to use... Jimmy Garcia three in a row. I don't think you necessarily go to Nate. I mean, you could go to Nate Pearson. Um, but, you know, if you're losing, like what? who pitches this game if you're losing? So, you know, and who knows? Like, we don't know exactly what's going on physically. Like, if I was the Jays, I'd, I'd check in with Simber and see how he's doing physically. Because, you know, if, if something's up, maybe the move is to get Hatch up today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Simber has dealt with that rhomboid issue. And I know it's a... It's a a weird word and not an injury we hear pretty often, but the chatter was when he went on the aisle with that, it's something he had dealt with, um, you know, for a little while uh, before he uh, had hit the IL in that case. And yeah, it's, I mean, realistically not to be doom and gloom about tonight, but like if Barrios doesn't give you at least six, I don't know that like, I, I think everyone other than Romano and Swanson is at best like yellow on the, on the fatigue cards. So that's uh that's a tough one. So something the Jays could do to help their pitching staff out a little bit is defend a little better and handle the little things a little better. Um, Ben, that was the biggest talking point in spring training. The biggest talking point as we got underway in April, clean up the little things, the, the small mistakes, the attention to detail. Um, we, this is now the second stretch of play this season where the talking point has been, hey, where did that stuff go? Yesterday, we see uh, a pair of errors, whether or not you like the the scoring decision there. They were, you know, plays that that should have been made. A couple outs on the base paths over the course of the weekend in situations where that really shouldn't have happened. Um, why, it, it, like, I, I know Vlad's explanation is often that they're pressing and everyone wants to do so much to, to try to kind of make up for it. Are you a believer in that? Like, how does this team get back to being that team? Because they are not in a place to just punt runs away right now. Yeah, they really aren't. Um, you know, yeah, defensively, Oh man, uh, you know, I think Vlad Jr. is a much better defender than what he's shown in the last week. Um, and I, I think this is a good defensive team and and the numbers certainly bear that out. Um, you know, good defensive teams are going to have bad days or bad series. So I, I think moving forward, this team should still feel the ball well. Uh, as for the base running, it's kind of weird because I, I look at this team and they actually have some players who, in my opinion, are really good base runners. You know, like, I think Whit Merrifield is a great base runner. I think Kevin Kiermeyer is really, really good. Varsho is awesome out there on the bases. Um, you know, you look at, yeah, Kevin Biggio 
should be a pretty good base runner. So I like who they are as a base running team, but there have been times that they're just over aggressive. And obviously Vlad Jr. getting picked off, you know, the other day, um, was there a miscommunication with Bichette who was ahead of him? You know, either way, it's a sloppy out. You don't want to be giving away outs like that. You can't afford to. Um, but I do think that there is an element of over-aggressiveness with some of their base runners. And we've seen it at times with Vladdy, for sure. He's probably been probably been the biggest culprit on this front. Um, but we've seen it with other guys. Um, we've seen it with Chapman. We've seen it with Springer at times. And you just you can't afford to do that. So um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there. But um, this is a team that should, like, they have the tools to be actually a much better base running team than what they have been. They certainly have, and it puts you in a situation where even if you want to unleash some of the guys that that can do a little bit of damage on the base pass, if you've already lost one out on the bases or a run on the bases or something like that, I do think that that probably informs some of your aggression, even though, you know, sure, in a, in a perfect world, we would evaluate each single decision on its own merit. Uh, it's hard when you have lost an out on the bases to uh, keep the foot on the gas aggressiveness wise. Um, okay. So Vlad had the error at first base. He, he got thrown out on the bases a couple of times this weekend. I think everyone could look past that if he was hitting home runs right now. And we can go through some of the stats since May 6th, which is the cutoff we choose because that's when he missed a couple games uh, with a knee injury worth pointing out that historically there is some precedent that, um, you know, weakness in the knee can can sap a guy's power, can lead to some more ground balls. Ronald Acuna Jr. went through exactly that last year. And once he got hot again in a very serious way, you know, he kind of revealed, yeah, that, that was a factor. Um, when you look at the lack of home run production from Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the underlying metrics, I know he still hits the ball hard, but the barrel rate you know, when he barrels a ball, it's not leaving the park as much. His damage rate, a stat from Robert Orr at baseball prospectus is down significantly. The chase rate is up a little bit. Um, if you're sitting down with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and you're the Blue Jays coaching staff, what is the first one of these things you're you're kind of trying to look at? Is it a mechanical thing, a swing decision thing? It feels like there are a lot of little things pulling Vlad in the wrong direction right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you look at the results. It's not where you would want him. It's not close to where you'd want him to have Vlad Jr. with a 789 OPS. So, you know, where to begin? I think with Vladdy, a lot of it is pitch selection. I think that he remains a guy who can, I mean, he's a great hitter. He can hit fastballs. He can hit breaking balls. So it's, I I think a lot of it is not expanding um, beyond his his strike zone and and getting ahead of pitchers in in favorable counts, 2-1 or 2-0 and doing damage in those situations. Now, that's really easy to say from the sidelines, and it's tough to do, obviously, when you have 95-mile-an-hour fastballs coming at you and off-speed stuff. But, you know, that's the job. That's that's what Vladdy is paid to do, and that's that's what he's been doing his whole life. So there's no doubt that he can do it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's no doubt there, there's uh, time to look at the mechanics of this. Um, I, I look at the numbers the same as you, Blake, and I see a guy who's numbers suggest a better performance than what we've seen so far. Um, But at the same time, maybe he's hitting too many fly balls to center field. Maybe he's um, trying to do too much up there. I I honestly, I mean, I I don't know what you would say to your own question there. I I think it's just try to lock in on 
pitches right over the heart of the plate. But, you know, that's that's pretty easy to say from where I sat. Yeah, and my my biggest thing would be that, yes, uh, Baseball Savant needs to take Robert Orr's uh, stat from Baseball Prospectus damage rate and make it one of their, like, little bars on the StatCast page. Because when I reference that stat, what that is is, like, obviously exit velocity is good, but exit velocity on a ground ball is not the same as exit velocity on a line drive. And launch angle is good, but there is a point at which it's just a high fly ball. And then you mentioned center field, the direction of the hit matters as well. Well, that damage rates that tries to take all three of those things into account together and give you one nice little snapshot. And Vlad's is down significantly from there. We we could pick, pick at things like um, you know, what is he doing on pitches over the heart? Like what's the damage rate on those versus what's the damage rate on stuff outside of the zone? I think the easiest to, to answer my question, the easiest to pick at is, is probably the chase rate because Vlad does hit a lot of the bad pitches that he swings at sometimes. So I think you have the the double sword there of, you know, not only are you potentially swinging and missing more, but you're wasting at bats at times because you put a ball in play that if you had waited for a better one, you maybe could have put a better swing on. Um, again, though, like you said, much easier to diagnose from the studio here at Sportsnet than from in the batter's box. Uh, but I, I'm sure it's something that, you know, is notable to them that the the chase rate is up and so is the ground ball rate. And those two things are probably very related. Um, someone else who who has struggled of late in the lineup and Matt Chapman, he's always been a, a higher strikeout guy. His chase rate is up a tiny bit, but since turning the page from April to May and June, one of the biggest things that's plagued Chapman is fastballs in the zone. Um, when we, when you look at something like that, it's an issue that he had a little bit post hip surgery. He wasn't able to take heat the opposite way. Um, this, there's no indication that there's any sort of injury or anything like that here. He's been in the lineup pretty much every day, except for yesterday. When you look at what's going on with Matt Chapman and just the massive contrast from April, is there anything, you know, easier to point to with what's going on with, with Matt Chapman, or is it as kind of black box as um, what's happening with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. right now? Well, he Chapman does seem to be healthy. I mean, we've we've seen a lot of strikeouts. It feels like a lot of strikeouts. And, you know, then again, this is a player who historically does strike out a lot. So, I mean, that shouldn't be shocking. You know, maybe it's as simple as he got really hot for the first month and he got really cold for the next six weeks. And you look at the end result and that's kind of where we would have expected Matt Chapman to be. I mean, for Vladdy to have an OPS around 800, it's kind of, I don't want to say shocking, but it's it's pretty significant um, and pretty disappointing. But for Matt Chapman to be sitting at 800 OPS with the defense that he provides, that's probably what you're expecting. That's probably mm -hmm. what you're hoping for. And to expect him to continue playing at the level that he was in April was probably never realistic. So, yeah, he's striking out a bit more. He's not, um, you know, he's he's had his own struggles as far as hitting for nearly as much power. Um, and it doesn't look great, but... I think when you balance it out, this is basically where we thought Matt Chapman would be. So, you know, if you sign up for three and a half more months of a guy who provides elite defense and gives you an 800 OPS, I, I think you actually do that if you're the Jays. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the the nice thing about being an elite third baseman is it, it introduces a floor to your performance where you, yeah, like obviously they would love Matt Chapman to 
hit at a significantly higher degree and hit like April. But when you're a very good defender at, at third base that uh, like he's still 28th in wins above replacement so far this season among position players, it's he's, he's yeah. been very, very fine. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Is not 28th in wins above replacement for position players. Uh, if you didn't know that Ben. Um, okay. So looking ahead to this series, They've got the Miami Marlins who are very, very hot. They've won 16 of their last 21. Um, they just swept the nationals. And as the nationals might make you think there's a quality of competition aspect here. The Marlins have had a, a bit of a lighter schedule in terms of the type of teams they're dealing with. Um, Jay's obviously not in a position to take anyone lightly. If they were, if the Jays could manage two of three in this series, they come out of this road trip four and five, given that they have seen some good teams at, at good times here. Would you be like, like, do you think the Jays could consider that? Okay. Fair enough. Let's turn the page on this uh, road. Like it's four and five enough. At, at this point. Yeah. Four and five would be enough. Um, it's not great, um, but it would be enough at the same time. Like, and, and you can never line it up this way. And I'm sure we'll have a similar conversation leading into the Oakland series this weekend, because you can bring in the worst team in baseball <laughs> and, they can go on a run, right? Like weird things happen all the time. It's not it's not as simple as it would be in in a, a basketball or a football. But I, I think that this realistically is not that good of a Marlins team. You look at their Pythagorean record, it has them well below 500 as a team. Their record in one-run games is really, really good. Um, probably not sustainable. Again, they have two good hitters. Uh, their ace defending Cy Young Award winner, Sandy Alcantara, has not been very good this year. Um, Yuri Perez is really good. He's legit. He's he's not an arm to take lightly. And and no major league team is a team to take lightly. But man, at a certain point, the Jays have to start sweeping some series, right? Mm -hmm. Like they have to they have to gain some ground on the good teams that are ahead of them. And it's not with a sense of urgency. Like it's June 19th. It's not September 19th. It's not do or die. They could get swept by the Marlins and still have a chance in the wild card. And, you know, I, I see that. I acknowledge that. But at the same time, you have to get greedy. And this Marlins team is is beatable. And they've benefited from weak schedule. And yeah, if I'm the Jays, I'm thinking about winning three. But, you know, first things first, they got to win one. And look, you mentioned that sometimes teams get on a roll. Well, what, if you look at what's ahead for the Blue Jays here, Miami, uh, a team that is is pretty good, but like you said, maybe overperforming a little bit. Oakland, who until very recently were embarrassingly bad, like 1899 Cleveland Spiders bad until a couple weeks ago. Um, you're going to run into the Giants, who who are solid. And then it's Boston White Sox Tigers. There is no two or three week stretch of the blue Jays schedule this entire season that is friendlier than the one they're about to embark on. So yeah, I think you're right that there's not necessarily an urgency because it's June 19th, but I'm feeling a bit of a sense of urgency of, Hey, if every team goes on a run here and there, uh, why don't you do yours right now? Because it, it's been a minute since you, uh, you had a streak to the positive side like that. I think they've only had one win streak longer than four games this year. And that was back in April. So um, yeah, it's feeling, Feeling like now would be a good time for it. Ben, I know you're on the call um, Wednesday for the 12 o'clock start against the Marlins and you've got the Oakland series. I have to ask, and and like that Wednesday game is supposed to be Kevin Gosman against Sandy Alcantara. Are you like when they sit down with you and we're picking which of us does which game, are you just trying to pad your win loss record? What's going on here with the, the strength of schedule difference between us? 
<laughs> yeah, sign me up for all the Oakland games. That's always <laughs> that's always a good time. Um, yeah, you know what? Uh, as you know, these decisions have a lot of different variables, and I, don't, I actually couldn't tell you what the win loss record is because I know mine's you know, not good. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what happens when you're covering a team that uh, has not played its best baseball, right? So, like you say, I mean, if they can go on some sort of a run here, then that's big. And it's not to say that you know you have to go eight and two in the next ten, but you probably can't go two and eight, <laughs> you know, you have to, you have to really uh, hold your own if nothing else, um, because the opportunities in front of them still, um, because expanded playoffs make it possible for a team that performs below its ceiling, well below its ceiling to still get in there and make some noise. All right, Ben, before I let you go, I have some Ben Nicholson Smith trivia for you. Are you ready? Wow. Yeah. Let's hear it. So for anyone who doesn't know, Ben used to be a contributor to MLBTradeRumors.com. And there was a lot of great work there in terms of, uh, you know, off-season roundups for teams and, and analyzing transactions around baseball in, in quick order. That that kind of snappy, you know, hey, why does this matter? Give me give me the 30-second the answer kind of stuff, as well as some deeper stuff in the off-season. Do you remember, Ben Nicholson-Smith, what the last Blue Jays-related thing you did at MLB Trade Rumors? Dot com was wow okay so well, i can tell you it would have been 2013 yeah so and it would have been probably february or march of 2000 was march 22nd okay and so what was going on with the blue jays at that time i'm thinking i mean there was a lot of optimism that was mm-hmm. the josh johnson mark burley jose reyes emilio bonifacio i'm gonna i'm gonna guess that it was a. am gonna guess that it was a. Blue Jays claim Esmil Rogers. How's that? So close. So close. Blue Jays claim Todd Redmond. Oh, Drew Hutchison hits the 60 day IL uh, to make space. Todd Redmond, who'd end up playing, uh, you know, parts of three seasons with the Blue Jays, both as a starter and a reliever. Yeah, that was the that was the last one. Blue Jays claim Todd Redmond off waivers from the Orioles. If I if I had nailed that, people would have thought this was a setup. But that was a real guess. Yeah, that was. Uh, and hey, Esmeo Rogers had a moment too. I don't. Uh, I don't know exactly when the the claim date was on Esmeo Rogers. Um, yeah, that's. A, oh no, well, they had got him in a in a small trade, the Yon Gomes trade. Right over the well, off season, so cl- still close though. Still, I mean, you pulled a, a hey a swing man out of nowhere from that 2013 team. It's a pretty yeah. good guess, I I would say. A right-hander who really didn't do that much, but uh, wouldn't the Esmil Rogers or Todd Redmond look good right now on the Blue Jays? They just they need someone like that to because, like you said, if they are down tonight, if they're down four runs tonight, honestly, who pitches? Like that's that's they could use an Esmil Rogers. They could use a Todd Redmond. They could, and uh, I mean Esmil Rogers. I wrote for Fangraphs back in June of 2013 about Esmil Rogers and uh, how you know maybe. Uh, Maybe he, there might be more to him. I would be talking myself into an Esmeal Rogers. So, I mean, we were just talking about Thomas Hatch's changeup. We've talked about Bowden Francis's curveball. We are not that far off from a Esmeal Rogers, Todd Redmond situation here with the Blue Jays, Ben. And it, it's such a good reminder, right? Like, not to, we don't know what's going to happen with any of these pitchers, a Thomas Hatch or even a Spencer Horowitz. Like, we don't know. Like, they might have great careers, but. You know, it's a good reminder. We can talk ourselves into a lot of things as as people who are, you know, in the media watching this stuff pretty closely. And sometimes, you know, most of the time, actually, it's not going to be that franchise changing player that you hope for. No. And I mean, that's not necessarily a a sales job or anything like that. But look, the thinking should be 
hey, this guy's here for a reason and he's in AAA for a reason or he's in the majors for a reason. And, and you know, the way I explained Bowden Francis's curveball was like, no, it's probably not going to save the Blue Jays, but it's the reason he's getting the call instead of Zach Thompson and Zach Thompson's cutter or something like that. Um, so we, we got to... We got to look. And in this case, if you're the Blue Jays, I'm sure they're looking all through their own org and other orgs for uh, someone who might be able to. Yeah. Esmeo Rogers to seem fastball their way to just a couple of productive outings. Uh, ben Nicholson Smith have a great I mean, I probably won't talk to you till Wednesday by Wednesday. So have a great call Wednesday's game. But uh, have a great week as well, man. Thanks for taking the time out. You got it. Thanks, Blake. Ben Nicholson Smith, MLB editor at Sportsnet.ca. MLB trade rumors.com legend from back in the 2013 seasons and prior uh, before he got locked in here and became a crucial part of our blue Jays coverage. Again, he'll be on the call with Ben Shulman on Wednesday. I believe Ben Shulman's rolling solo for the radio calls today and tomorrow. Uh, and then BNS on with you for the Oakland series uh, reminder as well, that the games today and tomorrow start at six 40. So uh, Blair and Barker, We'll be with you 5 to 6.30, although today it's Ben Ennis in Jeff Blair's uh, spot. And, of course, you can check out Blair and Barker after the fact in the Blair and Barker podcast feed, and they'll have Jay's talk for you uh, post-game on the nights that show Ali does not. It's Jose Brios against Brian Hoeing tonight. Who is Brian Hoeing? What does he bring into the table? We're going to take a break. We're going to talk to Jessica Blaylock of Valley Sports Florida about this Miami Marlins team. And uh, yes, I mean, also see how fun the Florida Panthers run was. She covers both teams uh, for Valley Sports Florida. Uh, we'll talk to Jessica Blaylock next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 The Fan and Sports at 360. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That song not befitting the Toronto Blue Jays right now. A little low on the swag, but our next guest would be familiar with it. It's Jessica Blaylock, Marlins and Panthers reporter at Bally Sports Florida. That song is, of course, the goal song of Carter Verhage. Jessica, you heard that a lot over the last couple of months. I know it didn't end exactly how you wanted, but how much of a blast have the last couple of months been for you? Um, not just Marlins, <laughs> but the, the Panthers side as well. Yeah, without a doubt. Excellent song choice because every time uh turned my swag on, played at <laughs> FLA Live Arena, it was just so much fun. What an excellent choice for a goal song by Carter Verhage, who obviously one of his nicknames is Swaggy, so spot on. <laughs> um, but yeah, these past couple of months, it, it just reminds you how lucky you are to get to do what you do and the fact that I get to cover a hockey team and a baseball team and, you know, two teams that I love with my whole heart, two teams that have been so good to me over the course of the last nine, nine years of being down here in South Florida. Um, kind of hard to put into words just how magical that run was for the Florida Panthers and how proud I am of, of what they did, even though ultimately they fell short of, of hoisting a cup. Uh, you still have to just beam with pride when you think about, uh, the the path that they had to navigate in the Stanley Cup final and uh, and just the teams that they had to get through and especially considering the fact that you know they they kind of snuck into the the playoffs um, 
And so, yeah, just full of pride when I think of the Florida Panthers. And then the Marlins, you know, going on on this really fun run over the last month, month plus, and and finding ways to win games and and win series and um, and doing so with, uh, you know, some some still major injuries to their team. So I think that's been one of the most impressive things about the Marlins. And and then I know you don't cover them as directly, but the Miami Heat did basically yeah, the, the yeah. mirror copy of the, the Florida Panthers playoff run as well. It's a, it's a fun time down there. So you do jump back and you know, the Marlins are 41 and 31. They're second in the NL East. Um, we could talk about some of what's gone well for them, but first, I mean, yesterday's father's day, Jacob Amea makes his MLB debut and you are standing with his dad on the broadcast <laughs> as he gets his first major league hit. Um, that's got a, I, I know it hasn't probably had time to, to set into like a, Hey, rank this level, but that's got to be among the coolest things you've gotten to, to experience as well right oh for sure and and the one thing I always think about is I'm just so appreciative when families let us partake in moments like that with them because you know it's not just the player who's put in the hard work and and waited throughout the years to get an opportunity to make it to the big leagues but it is the parents and the family and the friends as well who have been there by their side the whole time and supporting them. And, you know, Jacob talked about how his dad, when he was young, would always take him to the field and do drills with him. And so for it to come full circle, for him to make his debut on Father's Day, for his family to get there from California the night before, uh, for his dad to be in attendance after everything he did for Jacob growing up, just what a cool moment. And then, like you said, the timing of it, you know, for me to – be right there when Jacob records his first big league hit and, and then to get to talk to his dad in the immediate moments afterwards and to see the emotion, you know, his dad was, he had tears in his eyes and, and he was choking up and he could barely get the words out. And it just puts it into perspective all over again. Uh, what it means, not only to the player, but what it means to the families as well. And just the pride that, uh, Jacob's dad, Robert, had being able to watch Jacob not only take the field uh, and live his dream, but to record his first big league hit. It was it was just, yeah, it was a very, very special moment and just super grateful to the family for letting us be a small part of that alongside them. That's so great. There was a, a first career hit in the for the Blue Jays yesterday as well with Spencer Horwitz. Yeah. Um, I, I was uh, I was back here doing radio, so no, no family interaction there, but it was a day for <laughs> first career hits. So, Jessica, this Marlins team is 16 and five. In their last 21, they just swept the Nationals. This wasn't a team, I, I don't think anyone thought they'd be terrible, but I don't know that anyone thought they'd be 10 games over 500 here in right. June, especially of late. What is clicking for this group? Like from outside, it just seems like they're just super fun. And sometimes that makes you play well, like the same thing the Cincinnati Reds are doing right now. Um, but what's clicking for this group right now? I think just the fact that it's not one individual player who's having to carry the team. You know, you look at you look at their starting rotation, and Braxton Garrett has been amazing. Jesus Lazardo's pitched really well this season. I know the numbers are down for Sandy, um, you know, but he's going to figure it out eventually. And until then, other guys have been stepping up, including Yuri Perez, who at 20 years old has been so much fun to watch. Um, the bullpen has been spectacular whether it's been Andrew Nardi or Tanner Scott or Stephen Okert or A.J. Puck stepping in as the closer, Dylan Floro, uh, offensively, you know, one night it'll be Luis Arise recording five hits 
Uh, the next night, it'll be Brian De La Cruz with a, a huge hit in the ninth inning to drive in a couple of insurance runs. The next day, it'll be Jesus Sanchez or Garrett Cooper or, you know, you just go down the list. And I think that's the biggest thing is that everybody's having fun because not one single individual is feeling the pressure of having to carry the load. Um, they know that the next player is going to have their back. And um, you're seeing the results, you know, kind of come on the field from, from different guys stepping up on, on any given night. And I think that's been one of the big things. And I think also just the fresh energy and perspective of Skip Schumacher and, and the staff that he's assembled and the guys that he's brought in to lead the way who do a really nice job of balancing um, you know, letting the players be themselves, letting the, the players, you know, hold each other accountable, but also knowing when to step in at the right time and, and encourage or guide or teach. Um, it's just, a, it's a really good environment. It's a really fun clubhouse to walk into and be a part of. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of credit to some key veterans like a Yoli Guriel who, it doesn't always necessarily play every day, but is still doing everything he can with a lot of these young hitters and a lot of these young guys to show them the right way to go about their business and do things. And so I think it's just a really solid, healthy environment that, that players are finding a way to thrive in. And it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch it all kind of unfold. One of the names you mentioned in there is Yuri Perez. We're going to see him tomorrow. The Marlins haven't confirmed their starters yet, but he's lined up. He is barely 20 years old. He throws like 97, (laughs) 98. I know that from a prospect side, expectations were high for him eventually. There's no way the Marlins could have expected him to be this good out of the gate, though, right? Like like it seemed initially like this was a, hey, we're going to call this kid up because we need someone in the rotation. And now it it should feels right now like he's not going anywhere even if you know Edward Cabrera and Johnny Cueto or anyone else come back at some point yeah it's crazy at 20 years old I like still couldn't figure out how to balance my checkbook and this guy (laughs) is pitching in the big leagues uh but I think one thing that's really made a difference for him is how much he gravitates towards Sandy Alcantara and that is one thing that we joke around about all the time is how Sandy is basically dad and Yuri is his son. They're, the two are together all the time. You always see them talking in the dugout. Um, and I've talked to Yuri before and I, I've asked him, you know, what do you focus on when you watch Sandy pitch? And he talked about not only the way Sandy executes, but a lot of times, you know, in what situations, what pitch does Sandy lean on? You know, what does he go to in certain counts and things like that? And then he also mentioned just watching Sandy's demeanor out on the mound. So, um, that factored in, you know, that, that you're watching a guy who has won a Cy Young, even though, again, he, he's maybe dealing with some individual struggles this season. You're still watching a guy who's won a Cy Young. You're still learning from a guy who overall has been very, very good, who has a tremendous work ethic, who goes about everything the right way. Um, and then just factor in that Yuri has very real stuff that plays. You know, he's got velocity on his fastball. He's got great secondary pitches. Um, and I think with every start, you're seeing the confidence grow. You know, Yuri, Yuri made a start against the Angels and struck out Otani and struck out Trout like it was no big deal. It, it was crazy watching. And so that just that's got to build so much confidence in this young guy to know, okay, you know what, my stuff does play on this level. 
I can face some of the best hitters in the league and I can get them out. So I think kind of just all those factors early on have led to success for Yuri Perez. So at what point does does the relationship turn around and, and Sandy Alcantara says to Yuri Perez, hey, man, what, what are you doing? What can I pick from you? Because, you know, the ERA is more than doubled coming off of his Cy Young season. Yeah. I, I know it's not going to stay that bad. He's not it's not like he's walking a ton of guys or anything. Um, but he, you know, as recently as his last start, he is still going through it a little bit. Oh, for sure. And, and, you know, he's not the only one by any means. This is something that we looked at a couple of weeks ago on our pregame show. Uh, not only the guys who won the Cy Young last season, but guys that were in consideration for the Cy Young. A lot of them are having struggles this year. You know, it's not just unique to Sandy. Um, and I think more than anything, you know, when I watch Sandy pitch, the stuff is still there. Maybe it's getting hit a little bit harder this year, but it's not like he's lost his changeup. It's not like he's lost velocity on his fastball. You know, some of it on occasion is mislocation. That happens with anybody. But the stuff overall is still there. And I think that's the confusing part. And I think that's where we kind of scratch our head with the numbers with Sandy. And it makes me feel like more than anything, it just seems to be a little bit of a mental block with Sandy Alcantara this year. I think coming in, um, obviously he puts a lot of pressure on himself all the time to lead the way, but just knowing that he had won the Cy Young, knowing what he did last year, I'm sure he challenged himself coming into this season to be even better than he was last year. And I feel like with every start, he's kind of taking this, this pressure onto the mound to, to almost have to be perfect. And over his last couple of starts, we've, get him, we've seen him get a little bit more run support than he normally does. But for the most part, he does not always benefit from a lot of run support. So I think factor that in him knowing, okay, I've got to be really good because I may only get one or two runs of support. I think it's all leading to this immense amount of pressure that he's putting on himself every time he takes the mound. And for the first time, we're seeing maybe frustration creep into his starts and, and play a role because that's one thing that Sandy's always been really, really good at is controlling his emotions out on the mound and not letting that impact him no matter what happens. And I think for the first time this season, that's changed a little bit because he just wants to get on track so badly. And then you'll see a start like a couple weeks ago. Uh, he ended up pitching seven innings. I think it was against Oakland. Six were perfect, and then he had one inning where he gave up five runs. And it's just like you can't figure out really what's leading to that. And so I think that's kind of the frustration, too, is just not always necessarily being able to pinpoint, well, why does that one inning get away, but the rest are, are you know, three up, three down, or clean innings. So, it, yeah, it's a little bit of a head-scratcher, and I wish I had a better explanation or could exactly pinpoint what it is but to me when I look at it big picture I think more than anything it's just mental right now Sandy's just going through it but I gotta believe like Skip Schumacher said the other day I would never bet against Sandy hmm. and I echo that I will never bet against Sandy he's gonna figure it out at some point yeah, and the specifics are a little different but the mental side of it and how it builds start over start very very similar to Alec Manoa here in Toronto yeah. who's now down you know he's a, a Miami area kid and won't get to 
you know, make this trip home to, to make a start here. He's down in Dunedin just working on stuff right. and simulated games. So um, it does happen to the very best of them. The NL Cy Young, the, the guy who came third in, in the American League Cy Young last year. Um, so that's Tuesday and Wednesday, Perez and Alcantara. Um, today it's going to be, I mean, Brian Hoeing is listed as the starter. I know he has started before. Is this kind of like a pseudo bullpen day for Miami with, with Cabrera on the IL? Or is Hoeing yeah. now like re-entering the rotation? No, it'll it'll essentially be a bullpen okay. day for the Marlins. Uh, and, and, you know, Brian Hoeing, like you mentioned, uh, he has made starts. He has at some points been in the starting rotation for the Marlins. And now out of that bullpen is more a long relief guy. So he certainly has the capacity to take on multiple innings for the Marlins. Um, and so that's that's what I would expect to see is is hopefully if, if Hoeing pitches well, you know, maybe he can give you three, maybe even four. And then at that point, you just uh, you just go to your pen. They they recalled Waskar Brazovan. Uh, so I would expect to probably see him at some point in this game as well today. Um, but, yeah, it'll essentially be a bullpen game and, and hopefully you can get you can get maybe three, maybe four innings out of hoeing uh, if he pitches well. So the offensive side, then they're, they're, they're maybe going to need some run support. It just so happens they have one of the hottest uh, power hitters in baseball and a guy who's maybe going to hit 400 this year. Uh, Luis Arise at the top of that order, hitting 388, and, and Jorge Soler finding maybe he's not going to hit 48 home runs like he did in 2019, but he's already got 20 this year. Um, that one-two punch at, at the top for Miami, I know it's not a, a lineup that has a ton of offensive depth, um, but I mean, the, even just the chase, the 400, I feel like I just keep asking you questions about like, ah, oh, how cool is this? How cool is this? But you're, you are getting to cover some pretty yeah. awesome stuff right now. Uh, the Arise chase, um, I, I'd imagine that's going to be the, the story of your summer if he hangs in the high 300s. Um, how, how great a, a tone setter is, is Arise for this Marlins lineup? Well, I think the best part about arise is is just having such an appreciation for a guy who doesn't go to the plate and just try and swing for the fences you know power is 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 such a a big deal in the league now and understandably so i completely get it but i love hitters like Luis arise who just go to the plate and look to put the ball in play and that's exactly what he does he knows who he is as a hitter um, he, he has the same plan every single time, a consistent approach, doesn't try to do too much, and it leads to just being a solid contact hitter, hitting consistently for average, and consistently putting the ball in play. I think one of the longest 0 for streaks that we've seen arise go through this season is 0 for 15, <laughs> and we were joking around how like that must have felt like an eternity for him because of the number, you know, of multi-hit games that he has so far this season in the league, uh, you know, leading the way when it comes to average. But, you know, Arise reminds me so much of a guy like Freddie Freeman, right? Freeman's a great hitter. And, yes, he's got power, which is maybe a little bit different than Arise. Arise only has two home runs on the season. But same thing for Freddie Freeman, right? He just goes to the plate not looking to hit a home run, but just looking to hit, uh, put the ball in play. And that's why he's such a good hitter. So, I, I think it is a little jaw-dropping in the sense that he's done it so consistently and he hasn't really gone through any long stretch where he hasn't been able to find a hit um, and has four, what, four, four hit 
games this season, which which is crazy, alongside Adley Rutschman, who I think also has four four hit games. But yeah, just the consistency from Arise, and especially considering you just don't see many hitters like that in the league anymore. Um, I, I don't think 400 is going to be insanely difficult, mm. but when I watch a guy like Arise, it makes me believe that it's possible. It really does. It, it certainly seems possible. We're, we're a good chunk of the way into the season now. And even if it ends up, hey, you have a high threes batting average. That's still uh, an unbelievable. Still unbelievable. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And just another check on the Jessica Blaylock uh, cool seasons thing. Uh, Jessica, <laughs> Bali Sports Florida. You'll be on the Marlins game tonight. Thank you so much for taking the time out and enjoy a Lone Depot Arena coffee for me. For my estimation, the best coffee on the MLB or NBA circuit. I can't say the say I haven't been on to enough NHL parks though yeah oh without a doubt the cuban coffee at lone depot yeah if you need a little bit of a jolt trust me you're gonna get it after drinking that thank you so much for having me on jessica blaylock marlins and panthers at bali sports florida and yeah lone depot park um those little tiny cuban coffees they'll, they'll get you uh it is jose barrios on the hill tonight he has been a model of consistency for the toronto blue jays since his first start of the season getting back to the version of jose brios and arguably a better version of jose brios than the blue jays thought they were getting from the minnesota twins this is the second best 12 start stretch of his career uh, looks to keep that going against a miami marlins team that has some real threats but is maybe overperformed a little bit relative to what the names and the stat lines look like in the lineup. He'll go up against Brian Hoeing and effectively a bullpen day for the Miami Marlins. It's a mostly fresh bullpen for them. They swept the nationals. They, they had to use a couple relievers each game, but because they're carry, they're a starter short right now, like the blue Jays, they have the nine man bullpen. They have a couple of their uh, higher leverage arms ready to go like a Tanner Scott and an A.J. Puck, it's probably just Dylan Floro, who's not available for them, maybe Stephen Okert. Um, but they've got a, a nice little bullpen mix. They mix lefty-righty. They mix pitching styles well. Uh, so you'll see a lot of different looks if you're watching the Jays game tonight. Ennis and Barker have you 5 to 6.30. It's a 6.40 tip. Show Ali has Jays Talk for you post-game. And Jays Talk Plus will be back with you 10 a.m. to noon tomorrow. Will we be talking about a Blue Jays team that has turned things around and kept the possibility of a winning record on this road trip alive? Maybe. Yeah, I'd feel better about it. We'll see at 10 a.m. tomorrow on Jay's Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet 360.